The West is naturally Western and naturally trends towards the right, politically and economically, which means the West is conservative in its religion and politics. Yet, in the West there is an angst for a golden age we cannot find and an implicable drift towards the left no one seems able to halt let alone understand. Despite an obsession with conservation, the West sees an increase in migration, a lot of it from unfriendly quarters. But if migrants are not compatible with the culture of the host nation, it means there is an agency in the West alien to the West. Drag Queen Story Hour is a visible indicator of a culture at war with itself. It represents the alienation that is eclipsing the culture of the West. But the process started long ago, perhaps in the 1970s with the rise of gay liberation. In Canada, the disastrous bathhouse raids is suggested as the watershed event. But gay marriage hardly explains the West's descent into sexual licentiousness. Our consent to things that were unthinkable is not explained by an expansion of the civil rights movement. Yet surely the trend towards deviancy has always been with us? Despite the flood, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah did not die out. Christians tend to think of Noah as the father of all living persons. It is possible may not have been the biological father of all or any of his sons. But even if we assume that begot pertains to biological paternity, were the sons the offspring of one wife? It is said that Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. The Bible does not mention his wife or the mothers of his sons, nor the genealogy of the sons' wives. There is ample room for sin to be transmitted to the race of man, even after the flood. The races of man are traced to Noah's three sons, but would it not be wiser to trace them to their wives? Did the tribes separate out because of an unreconcilable difference between the women who got off the ark? What is not disputed is that there are genome differences between the different groups of men and that there was a separation that increased the preponderances of some physical features over others in the different gene pools. Ham, Shem, and Japheth are the names of the three sons. Genesis 10 lists at least 70 descendants of the sons. Some writers believe he may have had 30 children in all. Japheth and his descendants settled north of the Mediterranean, around the Black Sea, the Caspian Sea. The peoples he fathered include Persians and Sumerians. Shem settled down around the Middle East. His people included the Hebrews, Abram, the Babylonians, and various other Middle Eastern peoples. Ham spread out around Red Sea, the Nile. It is said his fourth son, Canaan, settled Judea. Japheth was the oldest son and Shem the second oldest. Japheth had seven sons, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. Gomer's three sons were Ashkenaz, Ripath, and Tagarma. Javan's four sons were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim, Genesis 10 verses 2 to 4, 1 Chronicles 1 verses 5 to 7. Japheth's tribe migrated to areas around the Black and Caspian Seas, around the Taurus and Aminus Mountains in Asia Minor, and the Greek islands, Aegean Sea region. They are thought to have settled in the islands of Cyprus, Crete, and Rhodes settling in Europe as far as Cadiz. Some writers have speculated that from Gomer arose the Oriental nations like China, from Magog sprung Russians, and Javan produced those who would eventually migrate to Japan. Japheth's descendants also gave rise to Sumerians, Scythians, the Medians, and Pairs, who would later form the Medo-Persian Empire, which is considered the most powerful in ancient history, Phrygians, and others. 
Shem's five sons were Elam, Ashur, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram, Genesis 10.22, 11.10. Aram's sons were Uzi, Hul, Gither, and Meshech, Genesis 10 verse 23, 1 Chronicles 1 verse 17. Arphaxad's firstborn son is Sulla, Genesis 10 verse 24. Sulla's firstborn was Eber, whose name was used to derive the term Hebrew. Abram, Abraham, the great-great-great-great-grandson of Eber, was known as Abram the Hebrew, Genesis 14 verse 13. It was through the line of Shem that Jesus, the Savior of mankind, was born. Shem and his descendants are believed to have migrated to the mighty Euphrates River and the Arabian Peninsula. They also reached a section of Western Asia Minor and, according to Josephus, as far east as the Indian Ocean. Shem's progeny gave rise to the Persians, Assyrians, Chaldeans, Babylonians, Syrians, Lydians, and others. Ham name means hot, heat, brown, Hitchcock's Bible names, had four sons. The names were Cush, Mizraim, Phut, and Canaan, Genesis 10 verse 6, 1 Chronicles 1 verse 8. The six sons of Cush, Ham's oldest, are Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, Septeca, and Nimrod of Babylonian fame. Rama's sons are Sheba and Dedan, Genesis 10 verses 7 to 8, 1 Chronicles 1 verses 9 to 10. According to Josephus, Antiquities of the Jews, Book 1, Chapter 6, the children of Ham migrated to the lands of Syria and Ammonus. They also populated many parts of northern and eastern Africa, including Egypt, Ethiopia, Libya, Algeria, Tunisia, and other areas. Canaan lived in the part of the Holy Land later known as Judea and lent his name to the general area of Canaan, which later became the home of the Israelites with Joshua as their leader. What this suggests is that Christianity arose from the descendants of Shem the second son, but the peoples of Christianity are the descendants of Japheth, the elder son. Ham likely gave rise to Islam. If we interpret these three groups as religions or theocracies, the Western world is a unique theocracy guided by faith, whereas the other two distinct groups are grounded in law. But we know these theocracies are not tied to geography or to specific races. All groups and all religions are worldwide. This being so, we can assume some degree of cross-contamination. There are no pure examples of any of these groups, which is why the no true Scotsman argument is pertinent. Christianity and Islam and the Eastern religions are not distinctly divided, but then capitalism which is associated with the West is not clearly delineated from either socialism or communism which have overtones of Eastern despotism. The despotism of the East is closely aligned with Shem and Ham, but elements of it has percolated into the governments of the West. In other words, we cannot look at the conventional ways of understanding the institutions of man nor categorically place one or the other group solidly in the East or the West. But, if we are to hypothesis a right and a wrong and a normality that is divorced from deviancy, where would we draw the line? We have already realized the conventional way of dividing up the theocracies and worldviews is not working. Indeed, the world has spent a lot of effort in proving normalcy is not a true category of humanity, but an illusion created by bias against those who appear different than those in the observer's group. The one thing we can be certain of is that the entire gamut of all possibilities cannot be equated to normalcy otherwise the word loses its meaning. Nor is it feasible to imagine normalcy being determined by a majority vote. 
Normalcy is not equitable with majority or commonplace. The Black Death was never normal and never normalized regardless of the level of the infection. But in the context of this essay, what we need to ask can normalcy be linked to a particular theocracy? The answer is that it can be. Normalcy can be correlated with connectivity. What is deviant is enemy or a sense that one has no connectivity to others. Deviancy becomes an expression of one's social divisiveness. It is through faith that we connect with others. Law maintains order. The legalist is actually in danger of becoming mechanical. Some have called the condition anal retentive. But it is not normal if humanity requires socialization. It ought not be difficult to understand the normal person is a fully socialized person. The only thing we need to ask can the law socialize people or are people best socialized by legal systems or by means of faith? By faith we mean the condition of trusting others or being willing to give others the benefit of the doubt. A person of faith will extend help to another assuming the one help will respond positively to the help and be in a position to help others. A person of faith is more likely to respond to others based on his or her opinion rather than rules or orders given by the state. So the person of faith is more likely to connect with others on their own level and respond to the other person's needs rather than according to the guideless established by the state. In fact, in cases of genocide, there is always a people who are willing to judge others by the standards established by the state or some other law-giving authority. Therefore, it is probable that any system, even a theocracy, that is governed by law and by legal systems will produce people who are less socialized than people who are governed by faith. Trust in others is hindered by obedience to a regulatory state. Thus, a theocracy based on faith will produce better citizens. But the problem is, if there is a divisive force that sows division, then doubt will increase and faith will decline. Then law will be expanded to replace faith. The rise of Eastern theocracy is the prevalence of law because of a lack of faith. The regulatory state is simply a reaction to the increasing tendency of all men to lose faith. Fear ushers in law and law eliminates the need and desire for faith, perpetuating the problem that caused the decline in Western theology and the rise of Eastern theology in the first place.